Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor Joaquin G. Molina invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We give you thanks. We give you thanks, Lord, that you're a faithful God. And your faithfulness is from the rising of the sun until it's going down. We see your faithfulness, Lord. So we pray, O oh God, that this morning, this word that begins our journey of 2011 would be the word that would sustain us all year long. Last year, you spoke to us and were faithful, Lord. You spoke to us as a father would speak to his son. And those that heard you, Lord, were able to stay under your shadow and your blessing and your provision. And those who disregarded what you had admonished us, Lord, suffered. Some have even suffered shipwreck, and they're not navigating your waters anymore. So I pray that this morning that you, we are, our hearts would be open, our ears attended, our mind would be fixed and focused to receive what you want to give us this day, because you're a faithful God. You have provision for us. You see things way before they happen, and you speak, and you give us warning. So Lord, open our eyes and let us see. Open our hearts and let us receive. And that this word might be a blessing to us and we could recall it and remember your faithfulness all year long, Lord. We give you thanks for your faithfulness in our lives, your favor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we started the new year and with great expectation of what God is gonna do in 2011, the Lord gave us Psalm 126, verse two and three. And it says that this is the time where God is gonna manifest his glory upon his people. And our mouths are going to be filled with laughter and joy. Our tongues are going to be filled with singing. And everyone among the nations that witnesses our life in 2011 will say, look what the Lord has done. Can you say with me, look what the Lord has done. Because this will be a year of not what you're going to do, but what God's going to do. This is a year of grace. The Lord has done great things. Verse 3 says, they will also acknowledge and we will be glad saying, the Lord has done great things for us. This is a year where if we allow ourselves to be under the goodness of God, we're going to have peace and joy and people around us are going to be able to see this. And let me tell you something, it's a great thing that we're going to be in this state of affairs because 2011 in biblical numerology, 11 is a messed up number because the government of God is 12. 11 means falling short of God's order and government. And where God's order and government is not, there is this, there's chaos. There's things done prematurely. There's things done too late. And so 2011 is going to be a real confusing year for many people, but not for those that are under God's grace. Romans 5.20 says like this, where sin abounds, where everybody's in chaos, where everybody is suffering the lack of the perfect government of God, it's the grace of God that will abound even more. The grace of God will carry you through these times of, of disaster and, 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 and a lot of things are going to happen to those that are outside of God's grace. I'm reminded of the Old Testament imagery of those men who had... Uh, Problems. They had serious affliction. They were running, running away from great um, difficulties and they would run in and grab on to the horns of the altar in the tabernacle. The law said like this, if you ran to the horns of the altar, whatever you were running from got canceled as a debt. 
Many men were running from, from the sentence of the judgment of things they had done. They had done things wrong. They had done things that deserved destruction and chaos and loss. And they ran. And we're going to give one of those examples right now in 1 Kings chapter 1. In verse 50, the Bible says like this, that this, this, uh, this man went running, Adonijah, was afraid of Solomon because he had risen up. He wanted to be the next king. So when Solomon became the king, he got scared. And this man, Adonijah, ran because he was, he was betraying the king. He was betraying the new king. And, and he was setting up some um, opposition to overcome his, his new government. So he ran and took hold of the horns of the altar. The promise of God's law was that anybody who did this would find the mercy of God. And when we run to the grace of God this year, we're going to see the favor of God. And it won't be on the basis of what you're able to do or what you think you're planning or what your plan or strategy is for the new year. It's are you going to be a part of God's plan? There's going to be a lot of people doing a lot of different things, but only those people that are about the business of God, who are standing under the grace of God. And, and again, we hear these things, we don't know what it means. If, if you come from a Catholic tradition like I do, whenever they tell you that you got to pay attention to God, my concept of paying attention to God is becoming a monk, going into a cave and not doing anything else. That's not the biblical understanding of honoring God. When you know God, you're walking with God at your home. You're walking with God with your children. You're walking with God in your marriage. As you pay your, your bills, God is there. As you, as you live life and you're cooking in the kitchen, God is there. As you go to work in the morning and meet a client, God is there. That's what it means to be about God's business. We, we're so religious sometimes we don't understand when God is calling us to be with him, we think we have to forget about work, forget about our husbands. I, I met a man this weekend and he says, when I became a Christian, I became such an incredible Christian that my wife left me. I said, no, you didn't become a Christian and that's why your wife left you. You became a religious idiot. You became a person that weren't about to care for your wife. You weren't there with a flower, serving, loving your wife, taking her to dinner, buying her a dress. That's what a real Christian is. One who lays down his life for his wife, like Jesus Christ. It tells us in the Bible. It says that, that, that we're to walk like Christ walked. How did he walk? He gave himself for the church. When I hear this, I cringe on the inside. And I say to myself, how could a man think that he's serving God when he doesn't provide for, his, for the person he most loved that's right next to him? That's not consistent with Scripture. In 1 Kings 2.28, it was Joab also. Another example of that Old Testament imagery to go seeking the grace of God. And we need a world-changing grace for 2011. Those that did not find grace or don't find grace get shipwrecked, they get lost. It's the grace of God, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace says, I once was lost, now I'm found. Why? Not because of what they did, not because of what they were able to do, not because of the plans of what they were doing, but because of the grace of God. I was once lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. How did it happen? Because there's some supernatural substance that comes from the heavens called grace. This is like gasoline in our cars. If you run out of gas, you're not going anywhere. And if you run out of grace as a Christian, you're not going anywhere for God. You're not doing anything. You're not going to see anything God wants to give you. So we need to seek the grace of God. There in 1 Kings 2.28, we read Joab. He also was running. 
the news came to Joab, and Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. Again, an Old Testament imagery, typology of running to God and, and putting your hands on, on that provision that God has. What is the provision? Forgiveness. What is the provision? Canceled debt. What is the provision? Whatever God has for you. That's the grace of God. And we're going to understand this a little bit closer as, as we continue to see that um, I've always had a saying in my, in my years as a Christian leader. Oxygen is necessary to live. How many say amen? Simple. Oxygen is necessary to live. If you didn't have oxygen, you'd keel over and die right in this instance. Well, in the same manner that we need oxygen and cannot say, well, I won't have any today. I'm not going to draw near to oxygen. You're going to die. In the same manner, I've said that since oxygen begins with a letter O, uh, we transfer it into the spiritual realm, and our Christian oxygen is called obedience. The day you decide as a Christian to stop being obedient, that's the day you take your last breath as a Christian. That's why people die. That's why people are not sitting in the relationship with God they once had. Why? They stopped being obedient. For us, we need obedience. We need to be obedient to God. We need to be obedient to His Word. We need to walk in that manner that that's our lifeline. Constantly being obedient. And when you've been a little bit obedient, God will take you to deeper commitments of obedience. The hallmark of a servant is obedience. The day you stop obeying, you stop serving. And in the same manner as the letter O helps us with oxygen and obedience, the letter G, grace, is your gasoline. You need it this year. You need to constantly be filling up, not with anything other than grace. You need to find the grace of God. You need to understand the grace of God. The grace of God is the unmerited outpouring of God's goodness. Listen to me. Nothing you do causes you to receive grace. It's something God gives the humble. It's something that God pours over those who seek it. And the Bible, from Genesis to Revelations, we see the concept of grace throughout Scripture. It's a substance that you can't go to buy at Sedano's or at Walmart or BJ's. Grace is something you find only in God. And it's, it's equated with the goodness of God. When you see God being good to you, you know that you're filled with grace. And you could ask God for grace. So it was when God was going to destroy the whole earth in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. When, he was gonna, when his judgment was going to come strong against all the inhabitants of the earth, that it was only grace that was able to save Noah. It wasn't his Bible reading. It wasn't his relationship going to church. It wasn't his devotion and ministry. It was the grace of God. And it says, now Noah found grace there in the face of God. And he was delivered from great judgment. How many, if in 2011, God's going to bring judgment upon the earth, consequences for what we deserve, want grace? That's why God is speaking to us this word. We need to be well-versed and exercised and experts abounding in grace. 
The biblical instruction says, let the grace of God abound more and more. Let the ways of grace come upon you. It was also Lot in Genesis 19.19 that God is going to bring destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And there in Genesis 19 it says, Indeed now, Lord, your servant has found grace in your sight. The same word grace is favor. That God is, is keeping you from what you deserve. Keeping you from a, a bad scenario. And it was Lot was pulled out of a place that was being judged by God. I want to be pulled out. But what I deserve is the judgment of God and find the grace of the Lord there. I want to be one of those that, that God keeps in a realm of grace all my life. David was like that also when he says, Surely, goodness. He was talking about the grace of God. Surely the favor of God will follow me all the days of my life. I want to be a recipient of God's grace. And so all these men of God that ever knew anything about the grace of God, a man like Peter, one of the 12 apostles, disciples, he was a stubborn man. He was a, a feisty fella. But even he writes in his letters in 2 Peter 3.18, guys, if you're going to be successful in your walk with the Lord, make sure you grow in the grace. Make sure that the grace of God is yet being poured out more and more in your life. Grow in this grace. Let it develop. And, and again, we, we're just tapping in here to see this. Hebrews 12.15 says, If anyone misses on the grace of God, if you fall short, he says, beware. Look carefully so that no one falls short of grace. Why? Because when grace is not there, all sorts of things start popping up. And one of the things that sets in when grace is not present are roots of bitterness, roots of resentment, things that come to contaminate you and kill the life of God. When grace is not there, there's no more gasoline. You're not receiving what you need to put up with your husband. You're not receiving what you need to have a great marriage. You're not receiving what you need to walk with your children. You're not receiving what you need to be a man or woman of God. And so the admonition is, be careful. Be careful because you can decide that you're not going to walk with the measure of grace. With the measure of that substance that comes from heaven. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says like this, You therefore, my son, Timothy, young people, you want to be successful this year? Listen to Paul's admonition. Be strong in grace. Make sure that you're not going to L.A. Fitness and Bally's and all the weight gyms in the world and you're strong out on the outside, but you have no grace on the inside. You can't walk the Christian walk. I see these men walking around. They're like, and they couldn't take one step in the things of God. Why? There's no grace. And Paul is telling Timothy, you're young. You're going to need the grace of God to abound towards you. I want to tell you, as he continues to write, he says like this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 9. The grace of God is something special. It talks about yesterday, it talks about today, and it talks about tomorrow. He says like this, knowing this, it's not what a law does that makes a man righteous. It's not what you're going to attain by keeping parameters of religious rhetoric to keep you under God's favor. For the lawless and the insubordinate and the ungodly, for the sinner, for the unholy and profane, 
It's not the law that makes us righteous. Verse 10. But it's grace. It's the grace of God. But according to grace, in his own purpose and power, which he's given us in Christ Jesus. And this will be revealed at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to 2 Timothy. I think I missed up on that one. We're still dealing with all this technology. Let's go to verse 9 again. It says, he saved us and called us. He saved you the day that, that, that somebody brought you to the Lord. That day, it wasn't that person. It wasn't you. There's something working that called you, saved you and called you with a holy calling. Not according to what you were doing. God wasn't judging what was going on in your life. But according to what? According to grace. It was the grace of God that visited you. It was the grace of God that put somebody, you in somebody's heart to reach out to you. You say, I'll always be faithful to that person who talked to me. Listen, it wasn't that person. It was the grace of God through that person that saved you and called you and brought you out of your own life according to the purpose that he had in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, verse 1. He says, look very carefully because we have been called to this life of faith. We have attained peace with God. We said, we've done a lot of stuff. Look at that. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how did that happen? Verse 2. Through whom also we have access in this faith to the grace. And this grace is what keeps us standing. And this grace is what, listen to the next verse. It gives us the hope of future glory. This grace has substance for the past. God was there in your past, and it was grace abounding towards you. I don't know if you saw that, but he says this grace was there when you got saved. But it gives you peace with God now. What allows you to be at the present state of affairs in a good manner, what makes you different from anybody else, is the grace that you have now. And it's that same grace that makes you project into the future, rejoicing with the expectation of seeing good things down the road. What is it? Grace. That's the key factor. That's the key ingredient in our walk. If you read verse 1, it talks about our past. Having been justified, that's something that has already taken place. We have peace at the present. And we will rejoice in future glory and expectation. Why? Past, present, and future, the substance is grace. It's not anything else that's going to happen in 2011. What I'm trying to say is in 2011, really press in to being able to recognize the goodness of God. Because men who have not been able to recognize the goodness of God have missed the outpouring. And so he says in Romans eleven six, if this is going to come through grace, then it's no longer based on your abilities or works or your strategy. It's no longer based on your mind getting things together, trying to make things work. If it's by grace, then it's no longer about my ability. If it's by grace, it's not about what I'm about to show the world. And that's, that's the walk of the proud. Watch me now. Work, work, right? That's the message of the world. Watch me now. 
And I've seen men without grace. What do we call them? A disgrace. I've seen men falling out of grace. They're shipwrecked. They've missed God. They didn't seek God. So he says it's no longer by our abilities. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the grace of God. It would no longer be grace. But if it's of works, it is no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. I want to be a recipient of God's grace. I have been a recipient of grace. My life speaks of the glory of God. I used to speak about what I did. I used to speak about what I was doing. And I used to call people together to tell them about my plans. If you come around me, you're going to hear about what God did in my past, what God is doing now, and what I want to see God, and meet Him at what He's going to do for me tomorrow. It's not about me. It's not about you. When you gather with your friends, it's not what you did or what you're doing or what you're going to do. That's pride. And men and women and families and churches who walk in that attitude miss God. They miss the grace. They fail to understand that when you're walking with God, it's solely the basis of what He's doing, what He did, and what He's going to do. If you have something else, you're a poor man. You're a wretched man. You're not going to attain to the things that God has and prepared for you. You see it all the time as man becomes... uh, Accustomed to focusing on himself. They'll tell you, I can't be a part of what God is doing because I'm busy doing what I'm doing. I, can't, I don't know what's going to happen in the future with my relationship with God because I have these plans. We need to be a people in Ephesians 2 verse 4. This tells the whole story. It's, it's the story of God's grace. God who is rich in love, some translation says, rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us. This is, some some people say, I'm not worthy of the grace of God because I don't know how my relationship, God loves you. God loves you more than you could ever even put together. His motivation for blessing you in the past, in the present, in the future is his dying love towards you. His continual passion directed in we're the objects of God's devotion. A lot of people have other devotions, but God's devotion is us. So much so that David said, what is man that you care about him? Why are you vested and worried about pouring out for man? Verse 5, because he loved us with a great love, even when we were in our own trespasses, even when we weren't living this life of grace, he made us alive with Christ. Through grace, it wasn't anything we were doing when he showed up. It was that substance, and that's what the substance we need to change the world, and that's the substance we're going to need in 2011. We need to find and live in the grace of God. Verse 6, he raised us up. That's talking about the past. How many say amen? He raised us up. He made us sit in a heavenly place with Christ Jesus in verse 7. Talking about the past, right? He saved us. He forgave us. And then look at the future. So that in the ages to come, 
so that our future could express the exceeding riches of his goodness, his kindness towards us. Are you going to allow your family to receive the grace of God? Or are you going to let your family receive the horrendous plans you have outside of the grace of God? Those, those putting pieces together that aren't about giving God the glory. You want to be the hot shot. You want to be the one with the great plans. Guess what? God shares his glory with no one. He says, so we can project ourselves in the age to come. He might show us incredible, exceeding riches. Verse 8. For by grace, we have salvation. This because of what we've decided to believe. Some men don't believe this. I've, I've met many men. It says, if I don't do something for myself, nothing's going to happen. Because they, they don't put the God factor. Psalm 14 one says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no grace. These guys are wasting their time at church. The saddest thing is that we're not real Christians, so the grace of God doesn't become full in our lives. We continue in our own plans. We continue in our own thoughts. We don't wake up in the morning and say, God, give me your thoughts for today. Give me your plans, your strategy. Give me your wisdom. Let me look at life from your perspective. I want to see what you're doing in my life. I don't want you to see what I'm doing. I'm done with myself. I'm done with, with coming up with bright ideas. I feel sorry for all those wives whose husband keep on coming home with new ideas. Hey, I got another plan. Oh, great. Great. Why don't you call your mom and tell her? Because I don't want to hear it. No. We need to be a people where husbands get home and say, look what God is saying. Look what God is doing. Look what God wants to do. Seeking that grace. It continues on to say in Ephesians 4, verse 7. So he could show us this exceeding glory. Verse uh, 8 says that through this grace there's salvation. And this is not of yourselves. Verse 7. No, verse 8 and then. Let's go to the. There it is. This grace is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. I don't know what you do to prepare to receive a gift, but I've never, there's no reason for a gift other than whoever's giving it is showing their appreciation, is showing their love, is showing that, that they're gifting something. That's what God wants to do. It's not based on, on, on you or doing something. Why does he do this? So that no one can boast. And then it says in verse um, 9, not of works, a reminder Remember, the goodness doesn't come by what you're going to do so that no one goes around saying what they did. So no one goes around saying what they're going to do. This is not going to come by what you did, what you're doing, or what you're going to do. This is the glory to God. He's the one that's going to open the doors for fascinating business. He's the one that's going to do things, not because you work hard. Hey, don't you forget, I work 18 hours a day. Big deal. You're going to rot if the heavens don't open over your head. If God is not being good to you, you can work 24 hours a day. I have friends that do that. And you're going nowhere because you haven't recognized the grace of God, the goodness of God. To humble yourselves to say, I need God's grace. Whenever my children tell me anything, hey, dad, what do you think? I say, I don't know. Let's ask God. Let's, let's, let's go to God. I know a lot of things. I could think a lot of things. But like Paul, all that is garbage. So that I could give room for God to show up and teach me something I don't know. 
And show me a way I haven't learned. And that's called grace. Not of works. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. He's trying to do something in us. Created in Christ for good works. Created in Christ for incredible expressions of the work of God. God, God wants to reveal his ability to bless us. He wants to reveal his game plan. I, I'm, I'm, some have already decided what God can't do. Some have already decided what, you know, nothing's going to happen for me. God left me to a side. You kidding me? Tell God to show up. Give him room to express what he wants to do to you. It says that Solomon tried to get all the glory and he fell short of what God had prepared for him. It says, which God prepared beforehand. What for? So we could walk in them, in the present. These glories of future, based on things God did in the past, is for a revelation of what he's prepared, that we walk them out in the present. These expressions of God are incredible. And the focus is not on us this year, guys. I don't know who's going to focus on what they're going to do. I want to see what God's going to do. I want him to fill me with laughter and joy. I want him to fill my children with laughter and joy. With the plans he has for them. He created the universe. Surely he has greater plans than what I could come up with. Surely the expressions of not giving room to grace is God resists the proud. Every religion in the world. Uh, yesterday, one of, one of the, uh, uh, a very significant babalao testified here on the 31st. He has 150 spiritual sons under his watch. But when he says there was no more answers there, it's because he had tried everything. And he went to his spiritual leader. And he says, we can't do anything for you. He says, well, then I need the grace of God. I need God to show up and save my marriage. I need God to show up and save my family. Because you guys have tried everything. We've killed every animal on the planet and nothing happens. Now i got to go find the grace of God. And he's given his heart to God. And I see in his expression to try and worship God in every goat or every chicken or every blood sacrifice. No provision. And then I see him come to the grace of God where he does nothing and God gives him everything back. And all he has to do is give God the glory. All he has to do is be faithful to the one who loves us and gave his son. And so men of God who transfer from disgrace, they come to grace and everything's put together. And many times we're asking God, God, let me do something. And God says, no. Let me have a little bit of the share of the burden. And God says, no. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul comes to God and says, come on, Lord. And he says, no, Paul, no. My grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. My grace will carry you through. And he's talking about there, therefore, I most gladly will rather be in my inability and in what I can't do so that I can see what God can do. And it's not till you're at the end of yourself and your great ideas that you back off and let God show up that you're going to see incredible things. It's the proud person that always wants to put their hands on matters. It's the proud person that thinks that if he rises up early. I love that verse. I learned that verse many years ago. 
It says like this, unless God builds the house, nothing's going to happen. Psalm 127. If God's not a part of building your marriage and your family, nothing's going to happen. I don't care how many perfumes and colognes and dresses and outings you have. You could go to all the theme parks in America and try and put your family together. It's not going to happen. He says, unless the Lord is keeping the city, nothing's going to happen. The cities that have been devastated, is what they wanted to walk in their own understanding. They wanted to set boundaries. That has not stopped destruction from coming. It's not the wisdom of God. It's the, it, it, of man. It's the grace of God. But there's, there's that self-sufficiency. We can't say let grace be sufficient because we're trying to be sufficient. We can't show infirmity because we have to show ability. We can't be weak. We have to show we're strong. Well, guess what? The grace of God doesn't show up. And for even those of us that come from the world and we come to church, now we start trying to be religiously diligent. Now we start saying it's a matter of how much I do in keeping a rigorous religious regimen that causes God to show up. And it's not. The goodness of God shows up to those that have an expectation for it to show up. Paul tells the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1. Those are very strong words that he tells them. Imagine your pastor showing up and saying, hey, what is wrong with you? Are you an idiot or something? Those are strong words. Thank you, pastor. I felt better after you said that. Paul gets to the Galatians and says, oh, you dummies. You bunch of idiots. You've missed God. You're coming to church. Who bewitched you. Now, now he's telling them that they're walking around in the mindset of a witch. These are people that love God, people that are coming together. But in their mind, they're processing their relationship with God based on works. You know what they used to call, why they call it witchcraft? It's because it's what a witch can do. It's her craft. It's her work. And if we're going to find the grace of God, we're going to give up what we can do. We're going to offer God, God, what are you doing? What, how can you do this? And he tells them they have the mindset of witches. Again, the religious uh, uh, practice of santeria and, and uh, spiritism and, and, and doing all these sacrifices. The core of every false religion in the world. What can we do? How many sacrifices could we make? The Mexican Mayas were, were chopping heads off and throwing virgins into their pagan gods. We don't understand God, so we think it's a matter of what we can do in order to attain the goodness of God. Well, guess what? God is going to be good regardless of your capacity to perform. In fact, he'd rather you not to perform and watch him perform. Watch what he's doing. He says, you crazy Galatians, who messed you up that you should not obey truth? Christ is the picture of grace. Christ. We did nothing to deserve the death of the only begotten. It's not about us. It's about him. Haven't you seen what God has done? He's given you his son. What are you trying to do to gain his favor now? You have his favor. He loves you. So 2011 needs to be a year where we press more into the goodness of God. The mercies of God, the grace of God, the expressions of his love towards us that are the objects. In verse 3 he says, 
Are you so foolish that you started your Christian walk recognizing that you had no ability? How many say amen? amen? We started this thing knowing that we were just bringing broken porcelain dolls to the Lord and saying, we can't put this back together. It has no restoration. And we give it to God and He heals it. He brings our families. He fixes the heart of our children. He restores the faithfulness of our husbands. He does a work that we could never take it to a psychiatrist, an accountant. We can't take it to a counselor. Our parents weren't able to help us and they would give their lives for us. It was this beginning of this walk was the hand of God. When Gil gives his life to the Lord, listen, this man, his son gets transferred to a Christian school. And his 17-year-old his son tells him, Dad, I respect the fact that you're practicing that, but I'm not interested. And the son begins to pray for his witch doctor dad, who has a whole room in his house consecrated to his witchcraft. To his ability to manipulate people's lives into bringing things into them. And that prayer of that young man causes his father to come and sit in church. Not even looking for God. Not even interested in the things of God. And then how does God touch that man's heart? And causes him to throw all that junk away. And he's the only person in his family who's turned away from that religion. The day he was throwing all his stuff away, his family members were calling him, don't do it. But the grace of God was sufficient to sustain that man in the midst of perverted counsel of darkness. And so you and I also in 2011 need to stop being foolish, need to stop thinking like witches think and warlocks. We need to come to the grace of God and abound in that grace. And that grace allows you to walk in the mistakes other people are making. Why? Because you're giving the grace you've received. Give by grace what you have received by grace. When somebody else has shortcomings, when somebody else is late to an appointment, when somebody else rubs you wrong, the grace of God is abounding. And you're carrying them for what they can't do for themselves. Wherever you see the infirmity, the weakness, the inability, it's grace that is extended. We are the recipients of God's grace, vessels of his grace. We're not pointing out at what people can't do. It's said people who are always criticizing others and looking at people falling short. And, and I've, I've seen this. I've had three conversations in the last month where I told these people, do you know how much covering you've received? Do you know how, how God has, has thrown the mantle in our relationship towards you to not hold you accountable for anything? And now you're coming saying the little brother, are you crazy? Are you crazy? If the grace of God abounds, it's going to also shower those people that are in your realm of influence. James chapter 4 verse 6 says like this. It is already written. He gives more grace. How many want more grace? I want more grace. I've received a lot of grace. I want more grace. And if we want to receive more grace in 2011 to enjoy with laughter and shouts of gladness and the people are going to marvel and see what God is going to do, what, what God is going to do, 
what great things God has done for them. In Psalm 126, verse 2 and 3, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's stand this morning and understand how is it we stand. Somebody told me, Joaquin, you're not going to be a Christian for very long. You're too radical. I said, well, if the grace of God disappears, then I'm done. If that which holds me the way that it holds me disappears, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst perverted person. I'm worse than worst. The only thing that makes me the difference is that there's a God in heaven who continues to pour out more and more grace. And I marvel because I'm not talking about what I did and how I got here. I'm not talking about what I'm doing. I'm not talking about what I'm going to do. My whole life is an expression of what God can do when you let him. What God wants to do if you back off, if you stop being a witch, if you stop acting foolishly, if you stop trying to do your incantations, you're just going, okay, when he gets here, I'm going to tell him, and then that, that's going to work. No, it's not. If God doesn't touch his heart, you could curse the man until he dies, take three needles in his eye, and nothing's going to happen. But if you let God and you wait upon God, his grace will show up. Father, we give you thanks for this word. It's a fresh word, Lord. You have been good to this church, Lord. You have served a table that we can nourish our lives with and continue to walk towards the direction you have for us, Lord. Father, we pray for all those that are shipwrecked in their faith, Lord. All those that have gone astray because they fell short of your grace, Lord. Father, let your grace abound towards them once more. Let them awaken out of their stupor. Let them come back to not what they can do or the shortcomings of others, but what you can do, Lord. Continue to remind us that your grace saved us. Your grace is saving us, and your grace will finish bringing the full capacity of the expression of your salvation because we wait upon your grace during this season, Lord. We dedicate 2011 not to see what we can do or what our plans are, but we want to see what you can do and what your plans are, Lord. We want to rejoice. We want to be filled with laughter, Lord. We want to see things like if we were dreaming, these images of the things you have prepared from before the foundations of the earth, that we should walk in them, Lord. I give you thanks for every family represented in this church, Lord, and that everyone would come under the complete saturation and outpouring of your grace, Lord. That the youth in this church would be strong in grace because where sin abounds, the grace of God is stronger. That we could wait to see how you put their lives together and not they have to worry about tomorrow, Lord. Because the cares of this life, they cause us to run from your grace, Lord. They cause us to speed ahead thinking that you're not going to provide, that you're not going to protect, that you have no plan or purpose for our life, Lord. I pray this day, Lord, that we would be renewed in your grace. That the word of this grace, Lord, we would be commended over to it, Lord, and it should guide us in 2011. And we give you thanks for what you've done in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray and give you thanks, Lord. And greet your brother and sister in the Lord and say, God bless you.